0: sir thank you praise god you may be seated today in the presence of the lord enjoyed this worship this morning haven't you Amen. i appreciate changed it up just a little bit today but i like variety amen and uh after all the most powerful instrument there is in worship is the human voice There's no other instrument more powerful than the human voice. We're thankful for all the others, right, that join in. But the human voice is the most powerful form of our instrument of worship that we can have. And my, we had a wonderful time this morning. And we thank God for our worship team. Amen. Praise God. Today, I want to talk to you on this subject, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is knowing God. Hope defined in the English dictionary is this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. We all have hopes. We hope that we pass the exam. We we hope that we get to go to the university that we are desiring we we hope that we get the better job we we hope that we get the promotion we others are say we we hope that we get married to the right person and we hope we have kids someday when we when you think of hope it is very often that that we it is like um I'm hoping that this happens. I'm hoping that this takes place. Christian's hope is not a finger cross wishing that takes place, but it is described in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 11 as a full assurance of hope. It describes each of us of having this earnest to earnestly, to have full assurance of hope until the end. And that's the hope that replaces the hope that the world will give of just a wishful thinking. In Hebrews 6 and 19, it says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, Amen. There there is a guy by the name of Major Harold Kushner, who was a POW in Vietnam, and he talks about the devastation of hopelessness. And he talked about and described this twenty four year old American Marine who was a POW in Vietnam. And this Marine decided to cooperate with the Vietnamese. And he said, if you will free me, if you will let me go, I will do whatever you say to do. So they agreed. They said, that's fine. We'll do that. And so he cooperated with them. He even became one of the leaders of their camps for a reform group. But after a while, it became a reality to him that they were never going to let him go. That he was... They were lying to him. And so they, he went from being a leader of one of their camps when he realized that, that what was really taking place, uh, J- Major Kushner says this, he became a zombie. The moment he, he lost hope of ever being released, he became a zombie. And he refused to do any work. He rejected all offers for food. And encouragement. He simply laid on his cot, they said, and sucked his thumb until he died. The fact that doctors in World War II and Korean War and Vietnam said some prisoners died of a condition of what they could only call give up its. Give up its. What did this mean? They said that when prisoners were faced with grim situations and conditions where there was no hope of them ever being freed, that suddenly they would just shut down and they would would lose all hope was drained and the prisoners would eventually waste away and die. And they said the only thing that we can tell you is they gave up. Our experts said that since many years, early years, the physicians have learned that taking away hope from a person is like pronouncing a death sentence upon them. Whenever the doctor said that they're already hard pressed and whenever you take hope away from them, it paralyzes them and they give up and die. This isn't anything new. King Solomon wrote it 2,500 years ago in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a long longing fulfilled is a tree of life. One translation says it like this: Hope is crushed, crushes is crushed, and it it crushes the heart. It is no surprise if God created us human beings for a craving for hope that he would also make a way for us to have hope. And that he would become or be the ultimate hope. Romans 15 and 13 describes God as the God of hope. Amen. There are 95 references to hope in the Old Testament. 85 references to hope in the New Testament. 180 times it refers to us in Scripture that we can have hope in God. This theme is woven throughout all of the scriptures. It is not just taking one particular scripture and saying, oh, you can have some hope. But no, God said in this journey through life, no matter where you are in the status of life, that you will need hope. And so therefore, he would tell us 180 times from Genesis to Revelation that you can have hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. George Gallup, a uh, public opinion pollster said, people seem to be searching with new intensity for spiritual direction in these days. When asked the question why, he said one of the key factors prompting this search is the need for hope in these troubled times. The point I want to make is this, that the God of the Bible is the source of our hope god offers hope that is so powerful that it can transform a human being's life and can rewrite their personal eternity amen it's not it's not the kind yeah give him praise The hope that I'm talking about this morning is not the kind of hope that we normally think about when we think of the word hope. In everyday conversations, we use the word in various ways, I hope. But the Bible reference, when they're speaking of this, they're speaking of of something that says, I'm hoping for something. But the Bible, when it talks about hope, it is not talking about something you hope for as in wishful thinking, but the Bible speaks of hope as something that you can have, that you can obtain. Wishful thinking is when I try to hope things in or out of existence, right? When I blow out the candles on the cake, huh? Now I don't want to get into a theological discussion right here, but I just want to say that uh, that I have never figured out why anybody wants to spit on their cake and then eat it. That's just up to you. You can keep it. But we wish we we say we're blowing on these candles and we're making a wish. We wish things were different. We wish things were were in a a different direction. We wish this wasn't happening or we wish this was happening. And we blow out the candles. We hope for another year of health and happiness. Or we pick up the Wall Street Journal and we hope that our dot-com stock is doing better than it was last week. Come on, somebody. Or we turn on the TV. Uh, maybe as you—I don't know if you do it or not—but but whenever uh, I know it's not even season, but I don't follow basketball and all that a whole lot. Forgive me, pray for me. But I love me some football, and I turn on the TV and I hope that the Dallas Cowboys will win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> oh Lord, it's been way too long. <laughs> Wishful thinking, (laughs) it has a hope of, of feeling what somehow, some way, something is going to change, even though that we have absolutely no power over the situation. We don't have the power to change it or to make it happen. Sometimes we engage in wishful thinking. We can do so in such a degree that we actually convince ourselves that something is that really is not. Wishful thinking. There is power in wishful thinking. Most of you probably already know I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt. And uh, a friend of mine that we used to hunt a lot together. And one morning on our way to, to deer hunting... Uh, He tells me, he says, today I'm going to get a trophy buck. So that's good. Later that morning, he texts me and he says, come help me. I've harvested a deer. So I get to him and where he is at, I said, what did you get? He said, I got the biggest eight point buck I've ever got in my life. I said, well, good for you. So we track and we get to where the deer is and it is a small doe. True. I asked him, what about this? He said, when I was looking at that, it was big and it had some horns on it. (laughs) That's the power of wishful thinking. That's the power of wishful thinking. We can change reality, but sometimes it makes us feel better, but it convinces us that something is true when it's really not. Another kind of hopeful attitude is blind optimism. I think it's great to be optimistic. I'd rather rather be around optimistic people than pessimistic people. I'd rather be around someone that's encouraged instead of someone who's always has a negative look out on life, huh? Amen. But but you see, I try to be optimistic, but but there there are sometimes that we take it too far until we look at everything through rose-colored glasses. We, everything is papered over and the problem doesn't even exist. And, and, and we we'd see it, but we don't see it. We, we do away with it. This is re, uh, what religion, many religions do this. One of them, in fact, uh, is Christian science, for instance. They say that evil is ultimately, is just an illusion. That evil is not real and that what evil that we see, we just imagine now how many know that's not true it's sort of looking at the sign on the bulletin board at the store that says lost dog right the dog has three legs blind and left eye his right ear is missing broken tail recently castrated and answers by the name of lucky (laughs) how many know that dog ain't lucky right there amen And sometimes people in their blind optimism will pretend that it's great when it's not. And that's not biblical hope. Then we have, there is ambitious dreams, another kind of hope. It's a wonderful thing to set ambitious goals and to work to achieve those goals. But the problem is that we often are restricted by our own limitations. That, that by the things that we're outside of our control we have no control over you see I can play football in the backyard every day of my life and I can never realize the ambitious dream of playing in the NFL and being a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys that just ain't gonna happen But sometimes our own limitations and circumstances or other people can affect our dreams in such a way that we end up disappointed. So what is the difference between wishful thinking and blind optimism and having ambitious dreams and then biblical hope? For most people, hope is is something that we do. But the Bible talks about a hope that we can have. Hope is something that you can have. You can possess it. You can own it. You can grab hold of it. For someone who follows Jesus Christ, this is the definition of hope that I want you to take home today. Hope is a confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill the promises that he has made to you. I just want to say that one more time for you to take it home with you today. Hope is a confident expectation that God is willing and he is able to fulfill the promises that he has made to you. The Bible refers to this as a living hope. Because it is always directly linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you, you, you must understand here today that had Jesus not risen from the grave, there would be no hope. There would be no hope. But every the hope, the living hope, amen, is directly connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Peter one and four said, In God's mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that we can never perish, spoil, fade, keep in heaven forever. Through his resurrection, Jesus demonstrated once and for all, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that God really does possess the power to fulfill the promises that he has made to you Amen. promises that he will change our lives promises that he will guide us and direct us promises that he will walk beside of us through the turbulence of our life promises that he has caused the the good to emerge from personal problems in which we face promises that he will grant us eternal life in heaven someday with him can you give him some praise for that blessed hope The resurrection is an actual physical event in history that seals Christ's identity as being the God who loves us and who is the God of hope. Hebrews 9 and 16 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure our hope is only as good as what it's attached to hope itself has no power you can wish for something you can hope for something you might even feel a little better about that you might fool yourself into thinking that everything is okay but the only hope has real power is when it is anchored to god who has real power and Hebrews tells us here that our hope is not anchored in the economy. Our hope is not anchored in people and opinions that are so fickle that fade and change every day. But our hope is in an eternal God who was before everything, who is now, and who will be after everything is gone. Praise God. So we have this anchor of hope today. And the Bible says it is anchored behind the veil. It is anchored in the holy place. It is anchored in the lordship of Jesus. Jesus Christ, And not only real power, but a real desire out of his love for us that we would experience his hope and have hope in us. Yes. Those who follow Jesus, give him praise. Come on, give him praise for hope today. Those who follow Jesus Christ have a confident expectation. That God is willing and able to fulfill the promise he has made to me. Why do Christians have hope? I want to give you two reasons. Number one, we have hope because we are free and forgiven of our past. We are free and forgiven of our past. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today that I'm free and forgiven of all of my past. Lamentations 3 and 21 said, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We have not compassed uh, from his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. The writer is saying here is this, I believe. Jesus Christ, because of even though we may fail God, and we will. Even though we may fail our children somehow, and we will. Even though that we may fail our spouse somehow, and be sure we do. God's compassion his forgiveness for those wrongs that we have done in our past, that compassion is a renewable resource. It never is exhausted. It is fresh and available every single day. He gives us a do-over. The best way that I can describe it is and, and and don't make any mistake about it, I'm not a golfer. I've tried. The best thing that I like about golf is what they call a mulligan. Yeah, that was my friend. I've tried to learn how to play golf so I could hang out with some guy some of the guys, but it just isn't it just isn't in me. I, I need a I need a gun. And just to keep it straight, you know. And, uh, but mulligans, what they do is, it, it, what it mulligan is, is if you don't know, it's an extra stroke after a poor shot. And it doesn't count against you. It's a do-over. It's a fresh slate. It's like when you get back to the clubhouse, nobody else but your guys with you knew that, that you had some other things that didn't go quite right that you got some balls over in the lake or over on the left side of the fairway but, but, but it doesn't count against you because it's a do-over. It's like it never happened and that's the mercy of God. It's like you, you, you fall short of his glory because we all have. The Bible says that we have. But thank God, aren't you glad that he has made a way for us to have a do-over? Yeah. Jesus Christ is in the do-over business. Amen. If Jesus had a business card, it would say Jesus Christ, the do-over man amen why because that's his ministry that's his job amen he gives us a do-over his mission is for us to understand yes we have all blown it yes we have all sinned and come short of the glory of god yes we have all made bad decisions and terrible choices but guess what his mercy is new every morning amen he washes the slate clean and he gives us a do-over another chance he's saying i can forgive you i can wipe your slate clean my compassion is new every morning and it never fails and some people need a do-over from god because of guilt like we squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube guilt has just squeezed hope out of your life Guilt lies to us. Guilt tells us you're disqualified for a do over. You'll never get a clean slate. Guilt squeezes hope from our lives. It causes us to live under a cloud of remorse for a long time and feeling as though that this can never change. But when you meet Jesus Christ, he wipes the slate clean from your past and he forgives you. Today is a perfect time for God to give somebody a do-over. Today is a perfect time for somebody to get out of the pressure of the squeeze and begin to realize God's grace and his mercy new upon your life today. The way that you treat kids as they were growing up may cause you to feel guilty. A marriage that fell apart may cause you to feel guilty. Whatever it is in your life that has come to bring guilt, I want to submit to you today that the guilt does not come from God. The Bible says that when we are a new creature in Christ Jesus, he said, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. He's saying, My ner- mercy is new upon you today. We can call upon His name, and He can show us His mercy anew and afresh, where that whatever it is, that guilt that's been squeezing us and pushing on us and making us feel condemnation and feeling guilt, we can be released from that today and have hope for a blessed tomorrow, a bright future. 1 John 1 and 9 says that you don't have to wonder if I'll forgive you. Just ask me. Confess your sins and I will be faithful to forgive you. The only question in this is the question, will you ask him? Maybe you're here today and and you've been a casual Christian. All your life you've, you, you've been a casual Christian but you're sick of it because the fact of the matter is being a casual Christian is boring. Casual Christianity becomes frustrating because that when we, you, you're just casual about it, when you're just going through the motions of it, you don't experience the relationship that he has created us to have. Amen? But you don't know what to do you don't know how to get out of this you don't know how to get a do-over you just need to go to God and say God I don't want to squander my life anymore I don't want to just live this thing on the surface. I don't want to just live in never, never land. But I want to experience a relationship with you that gives me real hope. That in these troubled times, in these dark situations, that hope will be in my heart, that I can overcome whatever I face in my life. It really, it's really the pursuit of knowing him because you see we can pursue other things and never have hope if i put all of my trust in god with my heart my mind my soul and my strength god said he is able to forgive me and his mercy is new every morning let me give you another scripture, 1 Timothy 6 and 17, commanded those who were, are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why do I, do I read that? Because I told you last week that it isn't just the down and out people that need God. It is also the up and out. You don't have to be on Skid Row to need God. You don't need have to be in a dire situation to need God. You can have all of the money that you need in the bank and still be hopeless. You can have everything going your way and your family is doing wonderful. But down inside there is this nagging of hopelessness that says I just wish I knew. I just wish I had real hope. I wish I had a real peace about these situations. Can I tell you today that it does not come from the external but it comes from internal. It comes from knowing and having a personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus Christ. The second reason that Christians have hope is we have an assurance of our future. Paul said it like this, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You want a prescription for hopelessness, for despair. One out of every six Americans believe that there is nothing after this life. They call themselves atheists. They don't believe in God. One out of six Americans. No wonder we have a hopeless country. Hopelessness is so dark that people can't face it. So some people go to wishful thinking and they say, maybe I'll get reincarnated. I've never figured that out. Some people go to blind optimism and say, I just won't think about it, and it'll be okay. Or others still pursue ambitious dreams and say, uh, you know, I'll outlive it. I'll lose 30 pounds. I'll cut my cholesterol out. I'll, I'll, I'll stand, uh, expand my life through, through this and, and through that, and control and do hard work. Well, all of that is good, but the real reality is this statistics show us that one our 100% of people die. Psalm says, What can anyone do to you if your hope is in the Lord? How can we face uncertain situations in our life? in our future if our eternity is not secure that we don't know but we can have bold confidence and courage today that even in this hopeless world that we have a blessed hope that we have a blessed future in Jesus Christ you see it turns us from hopelessness to hope the contrast of a looking into the blackness where there is no future there is nothing as an atheist or someone who does not believe there is nothing And and then we look at it as a Christian as a believer and in the middle of the night we can wake up and reality can shake us in the middle of the night we can have a bad dream that scares us but the second that we awake three it says God gave us in his mercy not by virtue of all moral achievement of ours we are acquitted by his grace and can look forward into hope to inherit eternal life the old song used to say, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin has a crimson stain and he's washed me white as snow. How do you describe to someone who is hopeless how they can receive hope? How do you describe this great gift that we have been given by god to be able to have his mercy renewed every morning upon our lives i read this story of a pastor who wrote about uh a family in his church his he got a phone call on monday morning and he said uh The father tells the pastor, he says, I've got to talk to you about something, said uh, our little eight-year-old daughter. She came home yesterday from church, and and she had this book with her. And when we began to ask her where she got this book, uh, she said, I got it from the bookstore at church. And they said, how did you pay for it? And she said, I didn't. And so the father says, I, I, "I need. Would you represent the church and allow me to bring my eight-year-old daughter over to you, and and you talk to her, and then uh, whatever consequences you feel is correct for this wrong, then I want you to do that." He he agreed to do that. They bring the little girl in, and uh, he asked this young girl where why did you take this book? And she begins to tell him step by step. She said, I was going to my parents after church and said, I cut through the bookstore and said, there was this book there that that I really, really wanted. Said, it looked so exciting and said, "I, I didn't have the money for it. And so I put it up under my coat and I walked out. And she is crying at this time. She's apologizing. She said, I know I did wrong. I know I did wrong. I shouldn't have never done it. I, I promise I'll never do it again. And then the pastor, in his wisdom, leans over and gives her his Kleenex and, and says, well, what, what do you think that we should do about this? What punishment? There's, got, there's some consequences to this. I believe that you'll never do it again, but you did do wrong. So so what do you think is, is good for this consequences? She said, I don't know. And he said, well, I understand that the book costs $5 and uh, we need to pay that. You need to pay that to the bookstore and said, do you think that if we added that times three and then... You gave the bookstore $20, that that would be good. And the the little eight-year-old girl said, yes, yeah, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. And he said, I seen the moment that she realized that she had hope of getting out of this. But then suddenly, hopelessness came again because she realized she didn't have $20. If she had $20, she would have bought the book in the first place. Huh? And so he said, i tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to write you a check for $20. And he reaches into his desk drawer. He pulls out his personal checkbook. He writes a check for $20 and he gives it to the little girl. And he says, today I want you to understand that I'm not just doing this for you. But I'm doing this so you understand this is what Jesus has done for you. That you did wrong and you weren't able to pay for it. The price was too great. But Jesus paid it all. He paid it in full. And he gave you the check so that you would be able to be free from your guilt, from your sin, from your condemnation. God gave her a do-over. Wiped her slate clean. Amen. How many know we've all messed up? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It may not be a book, but there's something in our life that we haven't been pleased or happy about. And we've tried to hide it. Huh? And the penalty for that is sin. It is death that we have committed. But there is nobody in this room who is guaranteed that we will all be alive tomorrow. But I want to give you a chance today to go into your future with a confident expectation. That no matter what you have done in your past, that your future can have the promised hope of Jesus Christ if you're here today and you feel hopeless, it no—it doesn't matter what has happened in your life. Hope has been squeezed out of you. And maybe it's by regret. Maybe it's because of all of the mess of life that you have gone through. But hope has been squeezed out of you. I've come this morning to tell you that you can have a do-over. You can You can have a do-over. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is knowing God. You don't want to live in a dream world with false hope. You want real hope. And real hope only comes through and by Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that hope that I'm talking about. Maybe you're here today and you've had that hope, but it's fleeted from you. It's no longer there. You're not in that relationship that you once had with Christ. Maybe you're just casual Christianity with no real root, no real anchor of hope. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I love God with all of my heart. But I want to be real honest. I want to be gut level. I I feel hopeless. I'm in a place of a hopeless situation. There's things in my life. I love God. I I trust God. But I feel hopeless. And I just want to feel His hope. I, I just want His confident expectation that He is able and willing to work on my behalf. Will you stand with me today?